This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Are you a god? I am Titanius Anglesmith, fancy man of Cornwood. Then... Show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. week on Spellburn, our three judges have burned some luck and gotten off another successful Invoke Patron spell, thereby summoning game designer and author Harley Stroh to join us on the podcast this evening and share some of the methods to his game designing madness. I'm Judge Jim, and with me tonight are my two fellow judges, Judge Job. I'm Judge Job, and I'm not worthy. And Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is a real treat. Oh, yeah, and we've got the Dark Master's right-hand man, Harley Stroh. <laughs> it's a privilege to be here. Thank you guys so much for, for having me. Harley, i got to ask you, if Joe's good nickname is the Dark Master, what is yours in the company? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, I'm the, the, the gimpy dwarf that serves the Dark Master. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a nickname. I'll tell you what, maybe we, can, uh, maybe we can leave it up to the listeners to come up with one, and then I'll make a T-shirt for Gen Con that says, you know, Whatever, whatever that they decide on your guys's forum. Oh, that'll be awesome. <laughs> that could be dangerous, but uh, you know. <laughs> I, I trust that the audience of Spellburn has at least a, has, will have a little pity on me. But uh, whatever they come up with, and uh, and however you guys want to decide it, either you know by vote or what have you, uh, I'll make up a T-shirt and and uh, I'll wear that. I think our listeners are worthy of the task, just judging by some of their online sobriquets. Very cool. Very cool. Harley, maybe uh, could you just explain who you are to some people that might not know? Oh, sure. So not, my name is Harley Stroh. I've been writing for Goodman Games for about six years now. I've done 40 or so DCCs for Goodman Games, and so I'm, I'm one of the primary adventure writers. Sweet. Okay, and let's take this party into the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. Tavern talk. So what did we all do in gaming this past week? Should we start with our guest? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, so I've been coming off of a of a broken arm, so my gaming's been extremely limited. Right now, it's all Gen Con prep. Uh, putting together pre-gens and making sure 
my modules are, are, you know, ready to table ready, ready to be run at Gen Con. Yeah. And just getting myself prepared for, for the big event. Did you, did you catch broken arm disease from uh, DM Glenn at North Texas? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think so. Unless he was in the skate park, you know, just before I was. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. How about you, Jeffrey? What have you been up to? Uh, let's see. I am still. I've got my online gaming group. We're playing DCC. We are still amidst the Falcate Idol, which is the module by Daniel Bishop from Purple Duck Games. Uh, it was supposed to just sort of be a you know a side trek, but it's turning into a, a thing in and of itself. They have awakened something very bad, and it is coming after them. And that is where we left off the last last I played with that. So that, it'll be pretty interesting. Our next sec- session to see how they how they tackle that. And then of course I've been doing my swords and wizardry campaign with the, with the, here at the house on the weekend. And that's been going pretty well too. So that's my gaming for the week. How about you, Mr. Job? My gaming this week has been pretty similar to Harley's doing a lot of Gen Con prep. There is a, um, a project that I just started working on that will be revealed at Gen Con this year. So I'm looking nice. forward to that. Awesome. I'm sure Harley knows. I'm sure Harley knows what it is. And, um, I'm also working on, um, I, I had talked about uh, the, uh, the GM screen I've been working on. I, I'm trying to make this kick-ass GM screen for Gen Con. So I've got a little uh, a lesson on using the vinyl cutter at work. I printed out the cover of, uh, actually, I printed out the DCC World Tour RPG like illustration that Doug did. And uh, I tried to convert that over, print it out on vinyl, but it was a little bit too complex. So I'm retooling, and I'm going to have a really kick-ass GM screen at, at Gen Con this year. That awesome. is so cool. So you have like a vinyl printer and cutter at like a, essentially like a vinyl plotter at work. Yeah, yeah. We, That's one, so uh, cool. Yeah, the designer for our entire op, uh, our entire company works out of our office, so I get to play with all our cool tools. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not signed up for anything, but I'm sitting here making my little list of whose games I'm going to come crash. So, Joe, you just made the list. I thought it was on the list already. <laughs> Oh, Lord. I didn't get to do any gaming this week. Our uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, group is every other week, so we didn't play this past week. Our basic D&D group with the Save or Die crew got canceled because of an anniversary. You know, that's what happens when you're married. You have anniversaries. And uh, the only gaming I got in was uh, Tim Cask, Todd Bunn, and uh, DM Matt from Roll for Initiative all got together at Gateway Games and played the Great Space Race, that Kenzer Company board game. And it was a lot of fun, but it was basically, you know, three or four hours of Tim yelling at us. Because Tim only yells when he's losing and when he's winning. <laughs> so was he losing or winning this time? Uh, he, he he was pulling up the rear this time, so he was not not too happy camper. Well, that'll wrap it up for uh, Tavern Talk. Uh, let's summon some emails. You've got mail. <laughs> Summon email. Okay, well, you know, we got emails. People are writing the show. Yeah, we definitely had a lot of emails again this time. So it's a good thing to see. So thanks for writing in. Um, let's uh, we'll give the email address out at the end. Who wants to get the very first email? I can do the first one. The first one is from DCC Fan. He writes, Great podcast, guys. Have you ever judged a spell duel in a game, and did it flow well? I've only read through the section of the rules once, but to me it sounded like a duel would grind the game to a stop. What are your thoughts? 
<laughs> that's a good question. Is that Harley laughing? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Harley? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? No, I, I remember we were we were sitting at, at GaryCon with um, um, Adams, you know, from from Brave Halfling, and it was Doug Kovacs, Joseph, and I, and we like we banged out the rules in an afternoon. It um, it doesn't have to grind to a halt, but it does require uh, the judge. Well, it's helpful if the judge, you know, just for just a brief period of time, takes on the you know actively the role of of the the, the opponent's spellcaster and and is really playing that character, you know, so steps out of the the neutral role and. If you have the two opponents, you know, working and they and they both have a, a rough understanding of how it works, it goes down really quickly. You know, it's it's like everything else in DCC. The tables are daunting until you realize that oh, you know, I make one maybe two rolls if it's a critical hit or something, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm led you know through the flowchart to the resolution. But I can definitely see how from the outside, not having participated in it, you you look at it and you're like, this is this is nonsense. I'm never going to use this in a game. But if you get the chance, it's super fun. And it, it's a nice opportunity for uh, you know a wizard or an elf to, uh, to to have the spotlight for a brief period of time. What do you guys think? You run games. Have you had a spell duel yet? I still have not run a, a spell duel. You know that was one of the things that we looked at for the Advanced Magic System show that'll happen sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Jeffrey? I have not run one actually. I've I've read through the rules, but I have not had the opportunity to run one. I've got several casters in my party. In fact, one I've got in mind, and I'm sure he knows who he is. be a great one to run against. I'm sure I could come up with some great reason to run a spell duel against him. Uh, but I have not run well, one yet. You know, episode that you guys do. Maybe you guys host a spell duel online so everyone can see how it, how it, how it plays out. Yeah, we yeah, could we, do that. I, I'd be did. interested to see how it plays because when it when it came up, Caster in uh, a Michael Curtis adventure at a convention, we just did it old school AD and D style, and Mike just sure. didn't use the spell duel rules. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was all it was it was all initiative and me and this evil cleric. That's pretty fun. Yeah, and we took him down. No, but yeah. I'd, I'd love to I'd love to try it because it's kind of like spell chess. Um, so the other players. Just sort of, it's like a gladiator match. You could get the other players to just to kind of cheer from the seats. Uh, there, there is, there is the, like it, it. It slows down for a little bit, but it, it, it's not. You know, it doesn't grind to a halt at all. Yeah, you know, the the wizard has you know maybe two or three extra rolls, but it's it, it's a neat opportunity. Given that it, it, you know it comes up pretty rarely, it, it's it's pretty fun. Well, I'm dying to try it, but uh, DCC fan, uh, thanks for writing, and uh, it's your campaign and your game. Try it both ways. That's that's the easy way to answer any question like that. It's just try it and see what works for your group. Okay, I'll jump in and get the next one. This is from, oh, uh, he he gave us pronunciation guides this time. This is from Robert Tingelin. Thanks, Robert, for tipping the dyslexic off on how to pronounce your name. Uh, Robert says, hey, guys, talk about quick service. The Mighty Deeds podcast was great, and the blank deed sheet is genius. <laughs> That's all you, Job. Uh, I plan to use them in my next session. Some questions and comments about luck this week. Someone in the podcast mentioned that luck bonuses change when a character's luck changes. I thought that the bonus didn't change when characters gain or lose points of their luck stat. Let's stop and answer that question before I do the second one. Let's clear that up for Robert. I only apply that to the boon. Everything else, I let the luck change. So I think that's what we said on the show was that your birth auger uh, roll, didn't, your lucky sign roll didn't change if your luck went up and down. So if you've got a plus mm-hmm. one to spell checks, I don't change that if the luck changes. But if your luck changes and now I'm asking you to make a luck check or something like that, then the modifier applies. That's how I've been playing it. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I run it too. I think a couple of the classes, um, it specifically says, you know, the ones that use some of the luck bonuses uh, or luck modifiers, it specifically says this does not change, you know, when luck changes. So in those cases, you would know it didn't change, but in all other cases, it would. Right. Sweet. Okay. And uh, Robert's second question is also, how do you all roll for recovering the body? The beta rules have it as a difficulty check, but the published rules are a roll under stat. I prefer the difficulty check since it would discourage players burning luck if they have to roll under. And I don't want to have a low chance of survival. I'm interested in your opinions. Thanks and keep up the great work, uh, Robert. Tendulum. So what do you guys think? On that one, for the roll the body, I always do roll under your luck score. That's how I do it. I, I run it the same way. So if, you, if you've if you burned luck up until that point, you know, you Conan may not be lucky that week, and uh, the body may not be recovered. And that's what I like about it is because it is something that, you know, when you burn that luck, if you need that luck to recover the body, uh-huh. you've just, you know, <laughs> to me, the way those two tie in together, it's just, it's, I don't know. I like that mechanic. You can't have yeah. it both ways. Exactly. Yeah. So I roll under. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it the same way. I I I thought it was in the rule book that way, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Who who was it that came up with the uh, like the the variable recovery? Was that John Marr? Do you guys remember seeing that on G Plus? I remember like seeing it, it on G Plus. I can't remember who. Like it, 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 shoot, I, I need to dig that up. So like instead of instead of a binary yes no, there was a there was a scaling. Yes. You know, depending on how much you had made the the check by, that determined how what your body condition was. Which yeah. was, was pretty sweet. Yeah, I don't um, think it was John Marr, but it was someone on the group, and I saw that, and I did think that was pretty, a pretty interesting way to do it too. That variableness to it. That was those like. We've killed crap tons of characters in our group and had pretty good luck with rolling them and bringing them back, but we've got a cleric whose uh, ability scores are not looking so hot anymore. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, Kevin. Uh, anyway, um, uh, you want to get the next email, Joe? Yeah, sounds good. Hello from Cincinnati. Love the podcast, and listening has helped me as a player understand the system in a way that helps immensely. As one of the players with Jim on our biweekly DCC home game over at Gateway Games, I've enjoyed hearing of our exploits after the game. I like the format and tips and tricks, and even if Marcos has started using them against us. I'm playing a dwarf, which is pretty awesome, but was wondering if y'all had any ideas on shield-specific mighty deeds. I've killed several several baddies just with the shield, but I'm drawing a blank on cool shield deeds. I've used it to smash the jaw and attempted to smash the feet, but what other cool ideas would make sense? Okay. Well, right off the yeah. bat, man, I'm thinking, uh, you know, Captain America, fling Absolutely. that shield. <laughs> Dude, that, that's the first thing that hit my head. Get a round shield and start bouncing it off people's heads. Yeah, watch some Avengers and come back and just be yeah, dwarf the Almighty. <laughs> well, you can also pimp out your shield, and in fact, in the in the core book and under the dwarf section, it it you know it says you know shield bash does one d three, but you know there's nothing stopping a shield from or, I'm sorry, there's nothing stopping a dwarf from affixing spikes or oh and blades uh, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. 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 chainsaw blade whirling in the middle I don't know. Yeah, some nice spikes in the shield, and the mighty deed could be I spike the guy and heave him over my head and go to the next guy. Let's see. What else could you do with a shield? Um, uh, my guy, you know, you could use, the yeah, dwarf from my party part. likes to knock him prone. He likes to walk up and bash him hard enough to try to knock him prone or something like that. So he, he likes to uh-huh. do the whole knock him uh-huh. prone thing with it. Yeah, you, you could rip off you know, the Lord of the Rings movie, and then, you know, your dwarf could ride the shield you know, down the staircase through a, a mob of charging beastmen or something. Um, 
say what else? Yeah, I was thinking that too. Maybe like you know, mowing a path through a, a, a mob or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or just hook the guy's belt and drop his pants in the middle of battle. That's just, <laughs> that's just as good as prone. That's better than prone. Ooh, how about how about poison spikes? There you go. Yeah, like uh, you know, little known uh, cavernous mushrooms. You know that are smeared all over that that dwarf's disgusting shield, or a cleft in the shield that you disarm opponents with. Ooh, that's nice. That's super cool, actually. Huh? 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 Yeah, so you could you, you could you could disarm opponents. You could do like a a, a sword breaker move. Um, Ooh, that's nice. Those oh. are good ideas. Welcome to Spellburn, where we put our guests straight to work. <laughs> but, you know, and I and I know I'm pimping the system, but that's one of the things that I really love about the game is that if, if we were trying to just you know design this for three for three point five, it would be broken seven ways from Sunday, and that's that's more my weakness as a designer than anything else. But you know, sitting down talking with you guys for five minutes, we can come up with something that's super cool for a dwarf. You know, you may never see it again. You know, this dwarf is going to die next week, and you know, but there's not going to be a you know a sword breaker shield feat two steps down the chain. That's you know that he has to build towards. It's you know it's we're coming up. We imagine stuff. We come up with it and then we play it and if it's fun it sticks around okay so the uh the email continues uh and and if i neglected to mention at the beginning it's uh, this is from will smith in cincinnati also my son micah and that's my brother's name recently tried to tackle a portuguese man of war while swimming in the ocean he learned a lesson don't touch the shiny object before checking but i wanted to think of a cool way to place a man of war in dcc I thought of several, like a spectral man of war trapped room, but I've not tried converting a spec monster into man, into a man of war. What suggestions do you all have for this idea? Uh, use the undead tables, special traits. Done. Nice. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. What do you think, Harley? No, I think that I think that sounds super fun. So yeah, what else could you do with it though? Um, well, you have all those you know dangly tentacle bits. <laughs> you know if, if each if each tentacle has a different effect you know sort of like the you know the beholder's eye but the inverse because you know it's it's swinging its tentacle and things oh that's a good that's sweet and so you know and so you have a you have a 1d8 table or something with different effects right you know one's paralyzed and one's petrify and you know and uh, you know anyway so on a successful hit you know the the, the judge gets to roll 1d12 and 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 find you know has a little bit of a surprise as to what that tentacle is doing to the pc the Beholder of War. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so 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 really quickly, and I know I'm interrupting at the exact wrong time, but it was Jim Sketch, um, not John Marr, who came up with the variable body recovery <laughs> table. That's cool, and it was yeah. a cool chart. Now it's out of the Google Plus DCC community yep. group, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look for July seventeenth. My apologies, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but, we'll make sure and put a link to it on the uh, post when the podcast goes up. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so Wells closes out the email. Again, I love the show, and my son loves playing with Jim at the home game and is stoked about being internet famous. Kudos to y'all, and keep up the good work. Looking forward to your answers. Well, that's a great email. Thanks a lot, Will. And uh, hi, Micah. You're famous now. Dude, I, I, I got his age wrong the first time I talked about him on the show because I said he was 12 when he's 9. He is the smartest genius-level 9-year-old you ever want to meet, and he's just hard, two-fisted, old-school gamer at 9 years old. That's awesome. I mean, his first words out of his mouth are either, I kill it or let's loot the body. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> he's learned like well. My daughter. <laughs> yeah, bringing him up right. Okay, looks like we got one last email. 
Okay, I can take this one. And this one comes to us from Microbias Minifingers. I probably mess up the first name, but uh, Minifingers works. Love the show, guys. I just enjoyed episode 5 on magic. I noted that you rolled for all of the mercurial magic effects right away when picking out a character's spells. I might suggest waiting and rolling that effect during gameplay when the player is in an encounter. They've just learned the spell. This is the first time they're trying to use it. Who knows what will happen? Mercurial magic can have a surprising combination with foes, terrain, or other challenges. It's fun to see it go off when the chips are all on the, are on the line. Keep up the great work. I love this game, too. Many fingers. Hmm. I, you know, I could see doing that if it was in the course of a game and the player just got his hands on the spell and, you know, runs to cast it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, plus, I think it would kind of slow down the, the gameplay, especially if you rolled high and you had, you know, multiple rolls on the table. And uh, I don't know, I think it would bog it down. Now, the manifestations, uh, I have rolled those and, and for a long time was rolling those um, during gameplay. And it didn't really slow the game down too much. But um, I'm not sure that I would do it that way. Uh, more power to it if you want if you want to run your game that way, though. I haven't done it that way, but, you know, I can certainly see, you know, where some groups, would, you know, think that's fun. I mean, I can, you know, you get the one that it kills someone, you know, you know, that, that could be fun. And, uh, you know, uh, that could be fun to learn on the fly. You know. oh, OK, so the judges are all going, yes, by all means, do that. <laughs> and the players are screaming, no. I just don't know that it makes any sense. You're, if you're supposedly an intelligent individual. You've learned these spells. You've cast them at least once, sometimes somewhere as part of your research. Uh, but it's different when it's under stress, right? I mean. We all know how to perform the Heimlich, but when I when I perform the Heimlich on Job at Gen Con, there's going to be a mercurial magic effect that I wasn't anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard you're a sleepwalker, so I hope you don't do the Heimlich in your sleep or something. Exactly. Are you guys exactly. roommates? Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. So I know who's door to knock on it. <laughs> right. Yeah, Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for email. Let's go to our guest interview segment, Invoke Patron. I sent my elf spies to find out what was happening. If I were creating a world, I wouldn't mess about with butterflies and daffodils. I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. Oh! Sorry. Well, Harley, there's the usual business we have to get out of the way up front, which is thank you for being on, and we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Oh, please. No, 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 no. Yeah, thank you guys for having time. Oh, my pleasure. It's, it's, a, it's a great privilege, and, and you guys do an awesome job. So you're just making me look good. It's a, I, I can tell you it's a point. It's a small point of contention between me and Michael Curtis that I like one of your adventures best of all the Tundra Core Classics <laughs> adventures. Fair enough. <laughs> Which one is it, Jim? Oh, come on. We can guess this. Uh, oh, I'm going to save it for that section of the show. I mean, Oh, it, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, plus there's gazillions of them. I, I mean, I, I like Mike's, too. I mean, there's one of his that would probably be my number two. They're all great. But, oh, my God, Harley. You, do, you and Michael share something in common in your adventures where you will write an adventure. I'm, I'm thinking of, in Michael's case, uh, Emrakul was framed, and in your case, Colossus Arise. Uh-huh. In both those adventures, you slug your way through the whole adventure, and by the time you're at the end, you're like, this is great. This is a 10 out of 10 adventure. And then you hit the last thing, and it gets jacked to you know level 11. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, Harley, we, we were kind of interested, in, and we've uh, gotten feedback from uh, some people emailing in. Uh, how did you get started with Goodman Games? 
Sure. I just dropped out of a PhD program to follow a girl to the East Coast who's now my wife. This is, golly, 2004, 2005. And so I had lost my, my regular gaming group, you know, and we had been, we had been gaming together all through, you know, bachelors and then our, our master's programs. But suddenly I was, I was, I was bereft of any gamers and, um, I was living vicariously through my old friends. You know, they were running games for new friends and that sort of thing. And so I, I wrote what would become Legacy of the Savage Kings, um, DCC 17, for one of my friends. And, and I sent it off to him, and he ended up running it for his group and blah, blah, blah. But um, right about that same time, I was, I was wandering through a gaming store. And I and I saw this adventure module, you know, called, you know, it was one of the Dungeon Crawl classics. I think it was uh, DCC 14. And I flipped it open and I, and I saw the, the blue line maps. And immediately <laughs> I was just I was filled with like envy because it was like, this is what I've been wanting to do my entire life. And somebody pulled this off. This is incredible. And so I, you know, I, I, I snatched it right up and uh you know, I went home that night and I was just, I was just amazed. Like somebody was making, you know, an adventure module that I would want to play and that I wanted to write. And so I, you know, I looked in the back and I, I fired off this, this completely half-baked, unedited manuscript to Joseph Goodman. But, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, <laughs> I made my luck roll that day. You know, he, he received it on his birthday, took a look at it, you know, made some excellent corrections and development notes. And, uh, and then that went on to be DCC 17 and I've been writing for Joseph and, uh, ever since. So you didn't even pitch it. You just sent him the entire finished manuscript. You know, that's a good question. I should go back to look at the email. I may have sent him the entire, I, I, I suspect it was like a 500 word synopsis and, you know, with the manuscript as an attachment. Because, you know, at the, at the time it was before he had um, submission guidelines up. And, you know, and I had, <laughs> it, was, it was an ugly piece of work. I had laid it out all myself with, you know, with art I was cribbing from the internet. It, it was terrible. But Joseph was able to see past that. And uh, So what you're saying to the kids at home is that entranceway to Castle Goodman is now locked and shuttered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably because the barbarians stumbled through and, and he destroyed, you know, the, the doors on the way past. Um we, we've, we've fortunately, for better or worse, we've come a long way since then, you know, to the point where now where there's, you know, there, there are, there are standards. You have to know the rules before you submit something. But yeah, yeah. So that, that, you know, my, my first DCC had, um, uh, I was telling you guys this, you guys this earlier, it had that image by Doug Kovacs of, you know, Torgo, the eye gouger. A puppy face kobold, which is the right and proper <laughs> kind of kobold. Which I, you guys need to check with Doug, but I think that may have been his very first illustration for Goodman Games. And so, you know, there we are, Doug Kovacs and I coming on at the same time and the same adventure. And, he, you know, here we are now, you know, nearly, what, six, seven, eight years later, still working with Joseph. Well, that's quite a few stars that lined up there. I mean, so you, both you and Doug were already in place when uh, Joseph decided to create the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Before before the show tonight, I was I was scrolling through some of my um, old emails from Joseph back in 2010, and and I don't know if you guys have time for this story, but it, it's it's neat to to look back and see how much of the DNA of the DCC RPG was you know existed in various in various permutations, you know, throughout you know our, our different product lines. Oh yeah, in those old modules, it's definitely there. Yeah. You know, you well, so you know, you, you look at well, let's see. 
you know, so, you know, obviously we have, we have Michael Curtis and, you know, what, what they did with the, you know, with the layout and the, the really dense, beautiful art, um, of Dungeon Alphabet, which then, you know, directly fed, you know, what Joseph's vision of the, of the DCC RPG was going to be. But I remember back in, I think it must've been like Gen Con 2008, fourth edition had just come out. And, um, you know, and I had, I had published maybe 20 adventures or 20 or 30 adventures by that point. I remember, you know, talking to Joseph, you know, we, we always have meetings at Gen Con cause we all, we live all over the world. And so we get together at Gen Con and I remember talking to the guys and saying, you know, we need to look past, you know, the TSR adventures. You know, we, we can't be inspired by Gygax and Arneson and all of the brilliant writers that came before us. We need to look back and see what inspired them, um, and use that to inform are writing. And I, I didn't use the words appendix in, you know, because at the same time, Doug Kovacs is incessantly teasing Joseph about not having read appendix in, not knowing about Fafford and Grey Mouser firsthand. So, so Joseph takes this input and he goes away and he, he makes it his, his mission to read every single book and author and appendix in and comes back inspired. And, you know, in the course of two, maybe three months, writes three quarters of the of the rules of the DCCT RPG, meaning, you know, not not the not the spell results, but the actual, you know, the, the core mechanics and all that. Yeah. It was it was it was an, it was neat to watch Joseph on fire when he was just cranking this stuff out week after week. That's great about the end of appendix N stuff. I, I, I just assumed Joseph was well versed in that all along. <laughs> I think we all did, you know, it was, but it was Doug that wouldn't let him live it down. That's funny. Yeah, so, that's sort of funny. The strong basis in Appendix N, I, I thought the same thing. I just figured he was well-based in it, and that had inspired the whole DCC RPG line, like, before the, the role-playing game. That's, that's, that's awesome. We all need a friend like that that just comes up and says, what, you've never read Jack Vance and kicks you in the ass. So you do. <laughs> well, Doug Kovacs is definitely the, uh, the, the ass-kicker of, of Goodman Games, for sure. So as far as the core rulebook goes, uh, Harley, uh, you know, what... What stuff did you produce yourself, I guess? Oh, golly. You know, I mean, this, at this point, I'm culpable, though. I was responsible for the, for the critical hit tables. Some of the patrons, you know, please forgive me. What else in here? Oh, you know, those, that, those patrons yeah. are all thoroughly evil. Well, job well done. <laughs> well, yeah, but, uh, you know, and, and Job can attest. Well, all you guys, you know, anyone who's tried to write a patron, knows that you know that is a lot of work you know there was there was some point at one point joseph assigned me four patrons and it must have taken me a month you know between between you know the specific results of the patron spell and then you know the patron corruptions and each of them coming with one or two spells of their own yeah this, uh, this is not yeah. your daddy's deities and demigods entry <laughs> no, yeah, i'm glad no. to hear you say that because i wrote up a purple sorcerer and uh i think i came in to the touch under four thousand words for that thing and i'm like wow uh-huh. this was <laughs> this is you know there's a lot of a lot of stuff to build one of these patrons up oh yeah yeah i have i have so much respect for um and, and and forgive me for the titles escaping me. It was it's, it's angels, demons, and you know the the, the patron book that they did. Uh, yes, I know which third, one you're talking about. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I was yeah. forget that same last one. Yeah, the, but the 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 angel or the the third party patron book. I mean that that is a work of love because those those things they do not come easily, not at all. Isn't this, isn't it like angels, demons, and beings in between, or something like that? I think that's it. Let's. Uh, yeah. We'll have to put we'll, it in we'll the show notes. 
<laughs> yeah, I do think that's it, though, Job. I think that's it. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I always forget that last third piece of it. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, and we can fix that in post. Are our two catchphrases for we're old and slow now. Yes. <laughs> starting to slow down a little as gamers. Are you, did, did you do the spell duels, too, Harley? Uh, you know, I, I, I sat there, it was, it was mostly Joseph, um, working out with John Adams and Doug and myself. So yeah, I was, I was involved in it. Mostly I was dueling against Joseph and losing all the time. We were, we were, we were Gary Kahn, you know, a few years ago trying to figure something out. And it was, it was Doug that came up with, you know, the, the phlogiston results and think about the phlogiston was his, his catchphrase for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the show. Would you be interested in judging a one-off spell duel sometime in your spare time at Gen Con? Because uh, Michael Curtis has been talking some smack to me about how well he can run a, a wizard. <laughs> I think it would be <laughs> awesome. Let's do that. Let's, so we should get Michael Curtis and I. He and I will have a, a spell duel on Spellburn. And, uh, and you guys can decide whether or not the system's broken or not. There we go. Yeah, I think there. That's it. That's a show. Sounds good to me. <laughs> that's a whole show right there. We won't even do any emails. That show. No. Nope. All right. So, so it was it was angels, demons, and beings between by Dragon Hordes Publishing, and that's Paul Wolf, Daniel Bishop, and I'm sure there there may have been other folks involved, but yeah. And that wow. is a good book if you're looking for more patrons. That's definitely a good one to pick up. What a lot of work. Yeah. To my shame, I haven't gotten it yet, but I'll have to. So Harley, I got sick of counting. How many modules have you written for Goodman Games? That's a great question. It's 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 probably somewhere around the the 40, 40 mark. I'm looking at my shelf right here, and I'm going mm, about four inches worth. <laughs> uh, but you know, but that's including you know the the one for Age of Cthulhu. You know, strictly fantasy RPG, probably probably thirty five or so. So many you've lost count. Well, it's, I, I I count myself very fortunate. You know, I've 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 been really lucky, and it's 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 been a great ride. And you know how how lucky was I that I, I sent it off to you know Joseph Goodman of Goodman Games, and not some other fly by night third party publisher at the time. We were, yeah. were may have been published and then sank into obscurity because they are out there. <laughs> yeah, and you know you guys remember the, you know the time of the glut. I mean you know the D twenty boom. There was there was a lot of them out there. Oh, yeah. Not a lot of those are around today, or at least certainly not in the same form they were several years ago. Exactly. The, the elephant graveyard for the period you're talking about is basically one whole shelf at half price books. <laughs> yeah. That's where those all ended up. Well, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of my, my work is, is somewhere half priced or, you know, 25 cents for, you know, an adventure too. But uh, yeah, I count myself very fortunate. Let's try and drill down to some specifics on uh, your works for Dungeon Crawl Classics role playing game. Uh, your most, the uh, uh, most, or it was, until last week, the most recent module that came out was yours, Colossus Arise. Yep. So uh, I understand that that was a bit of a difficult process, although that obviously didn't, when we played it, we just thought it was rip roaring fun with a bunch of giants. <laughs> that, that really warms my heart. I'm glad, I'm glad it came out well on the table. Because it was, you know, there were a lot of things going on in life at that time. You know, we, the the intro says it all. You know, I was I was in a car accident, which was, uh, the house caught fire at the same time. You know, the week earlier we had managed to flood the house while doing home repairs. My I must have lost like three hard drives. <laughs> so, there any locusts in there? Oh, you know exactly right. You know the frogs rained down from the sky. <laughs> but it was it was an ordeal and. Um, 
you know, and it's a testament to to Joseph Goodman and Goodman Games that they were very patient with uh, with each new test. As I was like, you know, you know, this adventure exists. Give me another week, and I'll get it to you. So, yeah, yeah. I got a question to ask you because uh, at least two of your modules for Dungeon Crawl Classics involve giants. Are you sort of uh, consciously doing a little giant series of your own? Oh, you know, in my heart of hearts, you know, I I love I love the G series, and so. You know, while DCC RPG will never, you know, really have a, you know, an homage to to the G series, it's it's always in the background. Like, oh, you know, there's 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 something wonderful and very appendix in about, you know, the 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 warrior striding out, and then you know, this 14, 16, 18 foot tall beast, you know, thunders forward, and that's ah, you know, that that's you can see Frazetta painting that. That's a that's appendix in and its finest. Or in the case of your work, three hundred of them. <laughs> Eighth level. I mean, the spell <laughs> results at that point get insane. Like we 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 did a play test for for Colossus, and it may have been one of your guys actually. But like uh, the uh, the casters went in and they decided, you know, enough of this. We're just gonna we're gonna cast earthquake. We're not even gonna go into the dungeon. We're gonna cast earthquake. We're gonna collapse everything, and uh, and we're we're gonna solve this thing in the first five minutes. And you know, sure enough, a caster at that point can you know uh, rolling a thirty, you know, as a total for the spell burn is not. Out of the realm of possibility. That was not our group. <laughs> Rick, <laughs> okay. Rick Hall was our playtest judge, and uh, we had to all but kill a couple of our pl- playtest players to keep them from charging the 300 giants, but we managed to sneak in and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> nice, nice. We had a couple who wanted to do that. So, we, uh, Harley, we've often talked about uh, sailors on the Starless Sea, and I was mm-hmm. just wondering um, what was the inspiration behind the Beastmen? And by talk about, we've cited it as the single best beginning adventure ever of all time. Uh, you guys are sweet. Well, so you've also read how you know it was it was written before a lot of the rules were were fully formed, and so I, I appreciate that everybody loves it. And I, I also look back and it's like, boy, it's not quite everything the DCC RPG needs to be. It's more of a almost a transition module between you know the the the, the first the first ten pages of it. You know, Wait, could just, pass. Just- just because yeah. it doesn't have a dinosaur or a time traveler in it? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, um, oh, what was the inspiration for the Beastman? That's 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 an excellent question. You know, um, I it was um, Adam. And I'm, I'm not even going to try to say his last name because I'm going to murder it. But um, he had done a study on the on the evolution of you know Beastman and, and and various gaming sources and i think i had a catalog as a young as a young gamer living out in the middle of nowhere colorado that had you know some pen and ink illustrations of of Beastman. it had been handed down to me by my babysitter or something you know those illustrations that always live so fully in my mind you get you have the typical you know the the minotaur heads but then you start to branch away from that and it and make it really fun and Hopefully a little disturbing, you know, depending on how the table works out. But that, that, you know, for my eight-year-old self, seeing those pen and ink illustrations, I think that's been with me for a long time. The reaction at our table and our group as we were going through that funnel was very interesting because the old grognards like me that played a lot of Gamma World, we didn't bat an eye. We were just counting, head, <laughs> count, counting heads and trying to figure out hit points right. and armor class. But the Pathfinder players just came unraveled. They're like, wait, wait, what, what, what's its head? And, what, and the other one's different? Right, 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 absolutely. 
Yeah, I sort of fell into the Pathfinder category when we first played that because it was my transition module to DCC for the most part. It's the first thing I played online. Someone was running it, and we met those things. And I'm just like, oh man, we are. This is not going to go well. It was. It was pretty cool. It was definitely. A, I think. It, I think you stated it right. It's a great transition module for uh, taking you if you've been playing. You know. Something more D20 oriented, you know, previously uh, transitions really well in the DCC, I think. Well, I appreciate that. We all piled on that shaman beast, man, like no nobody's business, even though because we didn't know he didn't have any spells. <laughs> I, I, I heard that the previous podcast. That was pretty funny. The next shaman will have a ton of spells. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Just doing my job. I've got a. The sort of question that I know listeners are going to want to know, if there are listeners to the show that want to uh, write adventures, not not specifically to pitch to Goodman or specifically to pitch to anybody, but just for their home campaigns and in general, what are some of your like key design decisions to make adventures that don't suck? Ooh. Um, so, you know, we've hosted that seminar at, at Gen Con a couple of years. It's been a while now since we've done it. And I, and I guess... You know, if you if you think to the to the to the climax of sailors, you know th- that that works so well because you know we need to remember as judges that we don't have a special effects budget. Like there is no reason, a, you know, the the ceiling can't collapse and a, an enormous tidal wave, you know, carries us away, or or you know the spell goes awry with a fumble and transports you to another planet. I mean, there's, I, I would just encourage. Um, you know, judges and, and DMs to let their imaginations go wild and not be bound by, you know, adventures, you know, that they've read in the past. Like, you know, you don't need to write like Harley Stroh. There's a, there's a judge out there with a brilliant idea that only he can come up with and that will exist only in his games. And like, that's the adventure that he needs to run. You know, the stuff that excites him that, you know, none of the rest of us have access to. That's really cool. Yeah, you can't go far wrong if you stick to something you're personally passionate about. If it's a favorite TV show or a favorite novel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know one of one of the things that, and, and this doesn't isn't directly related to the question, but you know when I, when I was early, early on when I was working for Goodman Games, I always tried to make the maps as evocative as possible, even though you know there were blue line maps at the time, just because I knew if I could get the the DM to fall in love with the adventure. That DM would then run an awesome adventure for the players, and so there, so much of the delivery, you know, both in the text but also in the, you know, in, in maps, you know, hopefully, you know, DM somewhere is, you know, he's twelve years old, he's he or she is flipping open these books, sees maps that just fire up their imagination, and you know that child's imagination is way cooler than anything that the the module could deliver, but based upon that, that child or you know be be he 10 or be he you know 95 is going to run an awesome game because you know he's fired up about it i know that i've i've heard people uh with bad reactions to doug kovac's mapping style in the modules and i just frankly don't understand the the pushback at all because that's the whole charm of the system in the game to me is those maps that look like a player character sat down and drew them and did little uh-huh. illustrated cartouches don't go here you know, I, I guess I, I can I can honor that reaction. I, I I don't know specifically any of the complaints, but I I had I had a period of time where I was I was looking at the maps, and you know it was it was right when we were transitioning. We were trying to figure out all right, what are what are we going to do to make DCC RPG special? You know, and I was like, I'm going to do these awesome maps, and I'm looking at this map, and it's just visually dense. And there was there was a moment, and I Doug could dig out the emails, where I was like, Doug, this is too much. You have to half tone these. 
it's not delivering the information in a way that the judge can use. And then, and, and, and so I, you know, it was probably about a week's worth of time that Doug and I were going back and forth about the maps. And, and I was, I was, uh, I was advocating for simpler maps that, that delivered the information more efficiently. And, and it was Doug that was like, you know, no, these, this is, this is, this is a work of art. You study it, you sit down, you soak it in. And, you know, you look at it for the fifth time and you notice, you know, in the right hand corner, he's left a little clue about, you know, thing X and, and, you know, what can look like arbitrary illustrations. He puts a ton of work in every, every, every little bit of his maps are, um, are specific to that adventure and, and convey a bit of meaning. The only but, thing more uh, gorgeous than the maps as published are his pencil sketches preparing oh, for the maps. I, I love his pencil sketches. I love his pen. Like we need to create a, a chat book just of his pencil sketchings. They're, they're gorgeous. He's, he sent me a couple that I have hanging on my wall. And there's, there's some of my favorite works of art. Nice. Yeah. yeah that'd be I, awesome. I, I really enjoy his maps, um, especially because, you know, once you learn a module pretty well, there's enough visual information on the map that you don't have to flip through the book. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. can just play it off the cuff, look at the map, and run the adventure. Yeah, I, I would say the one downfall of some of the isometric maps I've been drawing, though, is that they don't translate to Roll Twenty very well. Um, I've, I've run a couple, well, you know, maybe half a dozen games on Roll Twenty now, wanting to use those maps, and it, it's not super efficient, effective, I should say. Hmm. And for people who haven't heard of Roll Twenty, it's an online uh, tabletop for uh, running games at uh, Roll20.net, I believe. I yeah. never thought you of know, that. I was a big uh, Ultima Online player back in the day, and the view in the game was isomorphic. But because of that, the perspective was its own particular two-point perspective, which mm-hmm. obviously flat maps can't be. Right. And, since- you know, and I run pretty much all my weekly games on Roll20. and I mean, it's been workable to with some of the isometric maps to uh-huh. to. To do, you just have to be a little more careful when you reveal the fog of war, and sometimes exactly. secret areas. See, the secret areas can be a little bit more difficult. But sometimes I'll even tweak them a bit and, and gimp or something like that, just to to help out a bit. But uh, I mean, they've, they've been workable. I would certainly take the trade off. Trade off with the. I just love the map style. So oh, uh, you know, the only thing I regret is that I have to remember to reveal more fog of war, so people that are playing can see some of the cool artwork as we cross through different pieces. <laughs> and re- reveal extra so they can see it. Otherwise, it's like oh. Oh, you, you got to see this map. You, you know, let me reveal a little more. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I can tell you, as an artist, I've sat down and made a conscious effort to draw a map like Doug draws them, and I can't pull it off. Oh yeah. Well, that's why Doug's the man that does what he does. And before we move on, Harley, um, you know, we had just briefly mentioned before that the how to write adventures that don't suck talk that you guys did at Gen Con a while back. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. The uh, the slides are really good, and we're gonna I'm gonna link those into the show notes. Did you guys ever record that? I'll have to check with Joseph. You know, um, it seems like he put together a, a pamphlet, um, which he must still have. A, a pamphlet exists. I don't know that we actually recorded. Uh, oh, okay. Any of the Too bad. I, I would love to have heard that, but oh well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we we have a we have a new crop of up and coming DCC authors from a host of different companies. It would be really cool to hold, a, you know, how to write adventures that don't suck, but not just have it Goodman Games, but you know, have, you know, all the third-party folks. It'd be really fun to get together and like you guys fun. and Dak Altamac and exactly. Daniel Bishop. Exactly. Ah, uh, and and while we're talking about Daniel Bishop, that man's a genius. Like <laughs> he is, he is it's such an asset having him him writing for the game. 
but he, he he's he's one of those authors that I read and it, it spurs me on to uh, to to write a cooler DCC. I like how he takes a lot of the mechanics and uses them in interesting ways in the adventure. Because I've run a fair amount of his stuff. He's always in one of them. He's got, I don't know, just, you know I mean? Like, why didn't I think of using that mechanic exactly. that way? Either as a penalty or damage or something like that. And it's just like, you know, he really makes it. And without being corny about it, like, I'm using this just because I can. It just fits in. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just one of the facets of his adventures I like. But, yeah, I agree. His stuff's been, I've always had a good time with his stuff. Yeah. Anything by Daniel Bishop is worth checking out for sure. Yeah. I've got a question that would apply equally to you and uh, Michael. I just want to know, do you guys have cloning facilities in your basement and rows of yourselves <laughs> being this prolific? Or how do you manage to, this, this amount of output? When you guys have Joseph on, you, you, he can answer this. I am the slowest writer in the DCC stable. The only reason I have this many adventures out is because I had about a two-year head start on everybody else. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm terrible. I well, what's your process, Joe? How long does it take you to put together an adventure? Like, would you say so? So, ten thousand word adventure, we'd say like, is it a month? Are you asking me? No, Joe, uh, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask somebody who actually. Um, so, one. <laughs> some uh, so, somewhere, someone told me. I, I don't know where I picked up this wisdom, but they said to plan for uh, fifteen hundred words a week. So uh-huh. that's what that's how I do my schedules. I just whatever the word count is, I divide it by fifteen hundred, and that's how many weeks it's going to take me. See, that's good. That's good. And I, I, my, my process is, um, you know, so much of it is, all right, I come up with an idea and then I'm, I'm trying to add layers to the onions and, and it goes slow. It goes, it goes so slow. Well, you <laughs> Hopefully know, by the time, yeah. I, I, you have a very, um, I don't know, authorly style, I guess. I, you know, I've always been a big fan of your modules, um, you know, before DCC RPG, just the writing, I, I like to read your modules kind of like a, someone would read a novel, I guess. Was the word you were going for nuanced? Because that's what I would say, very nuanced style. Um, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> well, I, I How to pay that. a compliment and grind interview to complete halt. <laughs> going along that vein, um, when I was doing some research for the show, I, I noticed that you uh, had written some fiction for um, like a Realms of the Dragons anthology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you have you written any? Uh, I, I I am trying to look for a copy of that. But have you written any other oh, fiction? Don't. <laughs> um, so so you know I was um, just prior to starting in with Goodman Games, I had sold um, a short story to Space and Time, you know, which is a which is a magazine somewhere out east. I can't even remember where they're at. But um, so yes, more more fiction exists out there. I confess I haven't. You know, one of the blessings of being of the Goodman work being so reliable is that I haven't been out from underneath the contract in, in <laughs> eight years now, and so they haven't you know, let you off the manacles. Well, no, it's 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 a it's a privilege. You know, I'm I'm so fortunate, but you know, it's it's always that decision. You know, you you sit down. It's like, all right, well, I can um, I can I can squirrel away tonight to do some spec fiction, which is super fun. Or I can, you know, I can earn some money and 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 uh, you know do this super fun thing for for Goodman Games and you know and it's the uh, it's the paying contracts that went out most nights. What was your PhD going to be in? <laughs> in, in avoiding getting jobs in the real world, I was an English major, so there was going to be a literature uh, PhD in there somewhere. But then I uh, I met this woman while I was working in the Rocky Mountains and. Ended up not going to the program, and now we're married and expecting a child in October. 
Sweet. Congratulations. Very nice. Yeah, yeah congrats. Yeah. No, no, I got lucky. I've, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, but that was that was the good one. Get ready for your writing to slow down. <laughs> exactly. Well, which which all our all your listeners should understand there's going to be a wonderful window of opportunity for any up and coming authors to uh, to squeeze into the schedule now because I'm going to be out of commission for a bit. So so now's your window. You heard it on this show first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, you're like the uh, the Rob Schwalb of uh, Goodman Games. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, there there was, and I'm sure you guys felt this growing up. There, it seemed like there was a there was a point, you know, when the when the TSR modules, I don't know, not you know, jumped the shark is so cliche, but you know, they just, I want I want to make sure for however long I have a a writing career making adventures that, you know, I step out gracefully at a time when the adventures are still cool, the ideas are still really inspiring, where a, you know, a 12 year old kid is going to pick up an adventure look at it and just be dying to run this for his friends, you know? So if at some point, you know, the adventures get boring hack night and you guys are like, Oh, we've seen this before, you know, let me know. And I'll, I'll step out. I don't see that happening anytime soon, sir. Yeah, definitely not. As okay. an up and coming writer, I think you should quit now. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make you fight for it first. And now that I think about it, did you know the kid was coming when you were in North Texas? And is that why you were so gracious and listening to my pitch. <laughs> oh no no no! no. Yes, <laughs> hey, we yes, need I some did. we need some guys. I got to take a couple months off. Come on in. <laughs> there there's there's a piece of that. There's there's an awareness that well, but also you know it's there's a lot of wonderful authors that are 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 are, are coming up and are excited about DCC RPG and you know I'm I'm not the guy with all the cool ideas. There's there's. There, there are better writers out there and, and better designers. Well, definitely better designers. And it's, it's always a question of, you know, when you really want the, the, the line to succeed, it's like, oh, man, I want Job's next work to just kick my ass so that I, you know, I want him to replace me. I want this stuff to be so awesome that, you know, we're going to see another 50 DCCs by Job. Like, that's what you're always hoping for when you're in love with a line and love with a game. Because we're gamers first. You know, like, I want awesome adventures just as much as anybody else so it, it's it's wonderful when i get to see my name in print but it's even better when i get to see really cool ideas well you know and harley i, I have know, to we live in another yeah sorry go for I, it i have to thank you too because you uh you kind of introduced me to to joseph goodman um after we we met at gen con that time and uh you also like kind of prodded me on to go forward with some ideas i had and that you know they worked out so yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. It's it's, Thanks. it's my privilege. There's yeah. Thanks but, for yeah, the coaching. <laughs> well, no, you have to have native talent. You know, there's no amount of me, you know, talking somebody up to Joseph that's gonna make a bad adventure, you know, sell. You know, it's it's always up to the author. All right. You well, know. you're awesome. So Stop being so humble. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, are, are there any projects that uh, that you can talk about that that you know that you're working on or? coming out really soon oh, yeah let, let, let me okay. ask that even more pointedly i understand there's a secret project in the works that you guys are going to meet and talk about at gen con <laughs> what well, not I, I think i think it's been misconstrued um we're, what we're having is a planning meeting um in which all you know the, the inner circle of dcc folks are going to get together with joseph we're all going to bring our ideas, and you know it's the old spaghetti metaphor. We're going to throw our ideas up against the wall and see which ones stick and which ones are fun, and and try to get a sense of what we want to pull off, you know, this next year in DCC RPG. 
So, if, so a if, summit meeting kind of exactly, deal. exactly. You know, and so if 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 your listeners feel strongly about, you know, my God, we've had enough. We need a DCC set of dice or something. You know, please post it to the post it to G plus, post it to the Goodman forums on your guys's forums, just anywhere. You know, and 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 you know, feed more ideas into the hopper so that when we look at you know, what we want to pull off. We all have our pet projects. You know, I would love to do a, you know, a Poonjar set or something. But um, at the same time, you know, we're really, oh, now's the time, you know, when we're sitting in a circle together, making assignments, trying to figure out what we can pull off. Now's the time to get really cool ideas up in the mix. Sweet. So anyhow, yeah. So not, not how, about, how about you personally? Um, okay. So for me personally, um, let's see, we just finished up. I just submitted... Um, Submitted, turned in black mans to Joseph, and now I'm working on Peril on the Purple Planet, which is uh, which is my stab at you know kind of a sandals and and blasters adventure. So I'm really excited. It's 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 a lot of fun to write right now, which is it's in that cool stage of when you're 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 imagining it. It's like ah, this is so much fun. You know, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll make it a sandboxy hex crawl and we'll do this. And we'll take, you know, the lessons I learned from uh, doom of Herat and we'll add that to a bigger setting. And so, so yeah, that's what I'm in the, in the throes of right now, every night. Oh, yeah. I have a question about that too. How early on in your writing process, do you start play testing stuff? Do you just go out there and start play testing with oh, like yeah. kind of half-baked stuff? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I feel so bad. You'll, you'll, if you talk to some of my play testers, you know, people will be credited. I bet you could talk to some of the people that are credited as play testers and they would not be able to tell you unless they remember the title. Um, you rip off the cover and they won't be able to tell you what adventure they played just because so much is in flux. And, and part of that's a function of, you know, me being a judge, you know, if there's something cool happening or, or, you know, I saw a really cool illustration that night, you know, I want to throw it into the game. Um, but that, it, that's what I was talking earlier about, you know, like this, this onion where I'm adding, I'm adding on layers and skeins. Like it's, it's, it's a, for me, writing is a process of, you know, accumulation because I'm a terrible plotter, um, <laughs> I can't outline to save my life. And so I'll start with a simple idea, which, you know, hopefully has some resonance and add, you know, hopefully nuanced things on top of it that in turn makes it a unique one. Well, because here at Spellburn, we just don't have guests on to interview them. We also put them to work and get free ideas out of them. Let's move this over to Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boss, chop his head off. Right, silly little speeder. Okay, uh, Job, you came up with the show notes for this. You want to explain what we're going to do tonight? What tortures we're going to subject Harley to? Sure. Okay, so since we have, you know, a writer of... 40-some-odd adventures for Goodman Games. I thought we would just kind of workshop an adventure idea real quick in a few minutes. Basically, uh, what I've done is I've got my Tome of Adventure Design um, by um, Matthew Finch, and I'm just going to go to the location uh, table. I'm going to roll on there, and it's going to give us a name, 
and then we're just gonna, you know, see what Harley comes up with and, and us together, <laughs> kind of an idea for an adventure that's very DCC, you know, inspired. We'll cheer you on, Harley. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I told you guys earlier, I'm the slowest rider in the DCC stable. So, <laughs> well, there's four of us here, and we're we're not going to write the next great novel. We're just going to show listeners how easy it is to come up with a good adventure seat. Awesome. Have at it. Okay, so here's our constraints. So. I'm going to roll a few percentiles here. All right. I mean, oh my Shakespeare God. said there are only seven basic plots. We'll just grab one of those. I rolled a 100. <laughs> <laughs> Wooden. 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 Oh, that's, oh, that's it? That's the, that's the start? Wooden Shrine of the... Still rolling here, guys. Oh, okay. Shrine of the... Okay, a seven. I was all ready to go with a wooden steampunk dragon. Wooden shrine of the blood. There we go. The Trojan dragon. Oh, sorry. I'm off on my own frequency. One more. And 47. We have... Wooden shrine of the blood father. (laughs) You're on, Harley. Awesome. Matt Finch, wherever you are, know that I owe you one. One <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I'm going to buy him a beer, then beat him over the head with it. Um, all right, Wooden Shrine of, of the, the Blood, Blood Father. Father. Wooden Shrine. So where, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with Blood Father? I don't know. Where would you start? I think, okay, yeah. So um, I don't know if you guys remember the, um, the, the Choose Your Own Adventures um, books TSR did. You know, oh sure, yeah, the old end, endless quest ago, books, right? Yeah. Right. But they remember, oh, yeah, remember there was the uh, there was the oh gosh, Dungeons of I can't remember any. But anyway, so there was the one right? cover with a water weird leaping out yep. of the uh, of the pool, right? Is what was it? anyway? We don't need to remember Dungeons that. Some dread. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. All right. Okay. So we have <laughs> we have we have we have uh, we're going to start in, in, in the in the center of our dungeon, or the the. the apex encounter and and then there's um we have this 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 pool which actually contains you know this this murky black um you know this is this is the 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 sanguine blood of the blood of the father you know father of what we don't know but okay so there's this there's this pool filled with this 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 icarus black blood in the in the in the center of our shrine um which you know we're going to get to animate and turn into an you know comes out like a water weird and and does weird stuff to the to the pcs so um so what it does so what it does on a on a you know they, they finally made it to the center of this this shrine and the you know this 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 ooze you know launches itself up out of the uh out of its out of its pool there and um you know it, it, its attack is it attempts to actually push itself into the into the pc's mouth you know by by you know, either ears, eyes, nose, whatever orifice it can find, it attempts to to force it the the the, the blood of the father into into the PC. As they said in Mall Rats, in an uncomfortable place. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> which then which then requires a a, um, a fortitude save. Um, but what what does our what does our PC become once he's been uh, injected with the blood of the father? Hmm. Now we can uh, let's see. It's, it's it's you know you. 
blood vampires. Yeah, that's kind of boring, you know. But this could be, you know, the, the source of all vampires. But eh. I was thinking Let's, that the the uh-huh. player characters would be led to this quest that they're looking for this pool because it does something like in that one module where it, the, the, the MacGuffin is find this magic pool of water and it will take away your patron taint. It will cure your corruption. Ooh. So that's their whole goal. But when they get there, it turns out to be this creature you've described that mm-hmm. won't do what they were led to believe until it's been killed. And, of course, it leaps straight into one of their friend's bodies. How's that? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, huh. okay. And so, um, and then it attempts to exit <laughs> via all the pores in their skin. Um, okay. So, so we have, we have a shrine. Well, it's the wood shrine, right? Yes. The wooden shrine yep. of the blood wooden father. Shrine. What do you, what do you think, Jeff? What is, what is wooden shrine pull up here? You know, it makes me think like druid forest type stuff. Ah, brilliant. Okay. Some, keep going. Keep going. You know, just some twisted, malevolent druid, uh, obviously with an evil blood taint of some sort. But the the whole Blood Father wooden shrine makes me think some evil Uh uh mutated druid type thing. A fallen druid who killed an int and built it into a shrine for his evil purposes. Or have our have our have our perhaps have our good druids like entombed this thing in an effort to isolate it, you know, but then that cult of druids died off 500 years ago. Da, 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 da. And now the, 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 you know, what they had imprisoned so long ago is able to get out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got, okay. So, so, uh, the blood comes over you and you don't have to fight whatever it removes corruption that, you know, that I think we threw that out there. Maybe awesome. the, maybe the corruption is, is, you know, collected by this, you know, oh. the, the hidden God, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's fueled That's by brilliant. other people's corruption, so that you know, you go there, release you, uh, you know, uh, it siphons off your corruption, and then just happens to be the time when you know it has enough corrupt power to come and start menacing the uh-huh. entire countryside. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, and, and and what if it, you know, so great, it so it sucks away all the corruption from our our wizard and our elf, but if 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 those corruptive powers then empower the the thing itself, so like I don't know. You know, it, I have the corruption of a third eye. Okay, fine. My my third eye is gone because I've been attacked by this thing. But that also now, you know. Okay, so the, yeah. So there you go. If it's a major corruption, it gives it gives the the father blood the blood father you know, like an extra ten hit points and plus one to will saves and that sort of thing increases its armor class. So the more corruptions it takes from you, the the more um, dangerous and deadly this monster becomes. That's great. I mean, you take the stat block for something like a gelatinous cube and then just roll for, a, you know, a dozen corruptions that this thing has mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and little powers and side effects. OK, but that sounds this sounds like a little bit like the end game. So I think we need some okay, kind yeah. of, you know, mooks or something, uh, something in mass that's that's, you know, in the temple, a reason sure. for it to be there, something like that. Right. 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 And, you know, potentially on, on a wooden theme or at least a druidic theme, like like Jeff was saying. If you were if you were a druid and you well you're you're a cult of druids and you're attempting to to lock something way away for t- for time immemorial it's you can't destroy it you're not powerful enough to destroy it but you're powerful enough to imprison it so you want to you want to keep all outside things away from it um, what are, what are, what are the, the 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 guardians of the wooden shrine that you can use to defend it against uh, outsiders oh you know dryads. Uh, brownies, uh-huh. except you know the Dungeon Crawl Classics weird version of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's also the potential for uh, you know if it's underground, at least a portion of it, 
you know, you have roots everywhere that, that are bursting through walls, wrapping up players, you know, evil dead style. Um, you know, so an ent, you know, is towering above this dungeon. You know, you, you walk through the roots beneath, you know, the, the ent to get into the actual dungeon. Well, surprise, it has roots all down and around, you know, this burrow that you're entering. Oh, that would be yeah, cool. Like actual, well. yeah. actual parts of the architecture are just, you know, roots. Exactly. 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 And and so there's nowhere in this dungeon or this shrine, this underground shrine, you know, set in the roots of this enormous, mighty tree, you know, this towering oak. There's nowhere you can go in there that, that it doesn't know where you're at, which could be a little obnoxious. But it, gets, it, allows, the, it allows the judge, you know, so as, as judges, we have this omniscience. Well... Now the dungeon actually has a justified omniscience for where the PCs are at. So the, the, <laughs> the, the, the dungeon is, is actively reacting to the PCs. And so it's, it's, it's closing doors. It's dropping wooden portcullis. It's, it's, um, you know, it's opening passageways beneath the PCs, splitting the party. And it's, it's able to do this because it's, it, the dungeon is all built around you know, the, the roots of this enormous animated tree. That sounds it. like a good time to ask the judge if he wants a soda. <laughs> can, I, can I get you a soda? All right, yeah. So there's this uh, – what, what, what was it in Greyhawk? Was it the Rowan Woods? I'm sure I'm, sure I'm mispronouncing that. But like the Gary's like uh, uh, sequoias. So you have you know this, this towering 300-foot tree, which is now diseased because it's been sitting on top of the, of the, the, the father blood pool for, you know, since time immemorial. And so you have this, you know, this enormous tree that, you know, the, the leaves are falling off. It, it, you know, it, it never seems to grow in the spring. And that's, that's, it's that old and diseased because of, uh, because of the service it's been doing, you know, for the druids to, to lock this thing away. And then you, you know, you walk beneath the, 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 the roots into this, this almost worn of, of burrows beneath the thing. You know, and there's, there's ancient forgotten cobwebbed druidic runes everywhere. You know, we probably need, you know, a stone where they would have sacrificed the, the blood of the unworthy in an effort to keep the father blood you know, bound within these roots. I love that. I love the idea that the players are led to, okay, yeah, just go to this Druid temple. It's famous, like the Oracle of Delphi. It'll, they'll, they'll cure <laughs> exactly. all your corruptions, and then as you exactly. get there, things are not right. Oh, and, and, and their whole way there, they're encountering, like, you know, the ravens are showing up, craw, 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 you know, attempting to dissuade them. You know, all, all the animals in the woods are, are trying to turn our players away until they, they pass a certain mark, at which point they're within the periphery of the tree and its roots, and nothing living, you know, natural at least, crosses over that, 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 that border. And so the, the white stag that has been attempting to, you know, communicate with the warrior for, you know, the last week, the ravens that have been cawing and the owl that's been, you know, hooting at the, the wizard all night long. Crickets on the tree frogs. Exactly. It all stops and it's suddenly silence as they proceed towards the wooden shrine. And then they're intercepted by four-legged uh, orc centaurs with earth-corrupting magic. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The centaurs. So kids and would-be judges, that's just how easy it can be in Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. You just call Harley Stroh up at home late at night. <laughs> and just like that, you've got an adventure hook. Uh, we're going we're gonna to put Harley's Skype ID in the show notes. No. <laughs> well, Harley, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a real Yeah, pleasure. definitely. Thanks, Harley. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we've been we we started the show to have this 
interview happen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I try to save all the fanboy stuff for after off air, but a little bit of it seeps in. Oh, the privilege is all mine. And I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a gamer like anybody else. I've been very fortunate, but it's, it's, it's so much fun to, to hook up with other games are just as passionate about it and chat about, you know, that's why I'm looking so much, looking really forward to Gen Con and getting to meet all these people. You know, the DCC RPG is blowing up so much in the last year and a half. It'll be neat to, to meet all the fans that are actually playing the game now. So I look forward to it. Well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks for listening. This is Judge Jim saying goodnight and don't split the party unless the party's already been split. Goodbye, everybody. Good night, everybody. Harley, you want to say goodbye? (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Thanks for listening. The Spellburn Podcast is a member of WGPRN and is produced in association with WildGamesProductions.com. Harley Stroh was a Mr. and Mrs. Stroh production. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at GlitterWizard.Bandcamp.com. Promotional consideration for the Spellburn Podcast was provided by the Elder Gods with contributions from Miskatonic University in Essex County, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Spellburn.